Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 and stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Kicking off a new series today called Love Never Dies. And it seems like the theme has already been love this morning. Love it how God does that. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Father in heaven... Show us how to truly love, not like we would love, not like we would choose to love, but like you love. But like you love, because most of us really, we don't don't get your love. We We don't understand it, not like we fully could. But God, just being able to grasp just the beginnings of what your love is all about is life changing. And so Father, change us by your love today. Because we're all in constant need of change. So change us as your word will never return void, but it accomplishes that for which you've sent it. Accomplish your word in us today, we ask, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. As I was praying about a series for the month of February, you know, you can't help but think about relationships and you can't help but think about February being the month of love. And I began to think about what love was truly, truly important and the most important kind of love. And God drew me to 1 Corinthians 13. And this message just began to take off. And so I went with where God was leading my heart and maybe not where I would have preferred my head to go. And this is a series that was birthed out of that time alone with the Lord a few weeks ago. Note this, that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct the believers in Corinth because they needed correction. The Corinthians were something else. They were a people that came out of gross idolatry. Uh, unbelievable. So that's why you'll see in Paul's letters when he's writing to the Corinthians, he'll say, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God because they were calling all their idols Lord. And unless they had been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they wouldn't say that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul was saying, the only reason you're saying that is because the Spirit of the living God that's on the inside of you. The, the Corinthians were, were, were so liberal and so idolatrous that um, if you were, were living in the height of sin, they'd say you had been Corinthianized. They were some of the most debased and reprobate people on the face of the earth in its day and age. So now they come to Jesus, and amazingly so, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are flying all over the place, and that's why we have so much written about speaking in tongues, because tongues was like the problem child, and Paul was trying to bring balance, and he was trying to bring correction, and that's what he's doing here. And so I want you to notice what's being spoken of here, because the Apostle Paul lists the church and um, lists things the church in Corinth may have prided themselves in. 
because we got this, we're better. And I know that as Christians, we would never do that, think that our church is better than anybody else's church or, or think that we've got stuff going that other churches don't have going. I know we wouldn't do that here. Um, but speaking in tongues, prophecy, mountain-moving faith, giving, even sacrificing their body. They're like boasting about these things so much so that Paul is he's correcting it. He's correcting it. And in the midst of this, three times there's a repeated standard given, but did not love others. And the last time it's even personalized, but if I did not love others. So Paul's not just saying, you guys, you guys, Paul's literally putting himself in their shoes and saying, even if I, even if I did all these things, had all these things going on, but did not love others. So, so, it must be possible for believers to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and not love others. Paul even went further by saying that we could understand all of God's secret plans, possess all knowledge, and not love. To have mountain-moving faith and not love. To give and live sacrificially and not love. It must be possible. It must be possible. And I know that as people of flesh, we want to define ourselves by what we think we got going on. And I don't think the church is any different. Man, we got this going on. Man, man, we embrace prophecy at our church. Man, you know, we have, we have mountain-moving faith at our church. And let me tell you, and we've got this going and we got that going. But I want you to know that God's standard that erases all others is whether or not we love. In fact, Paul offers three descriptions for believers who lack love. They're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, even though spiritually gifted. Loud and wanting attention, or I like to put it this way, noise to be noticed. They just got to be heard because they got to be noticed. Got to be. Got to be. And they say that they give all the glory to God, but doggone it, they're talking an awful lot about self. You do understand it's very difficult to give God all the glory if you're always talking about yourself. If you're going to give God the glory, then just do it. I'd like to see a lot more selfies of God if it was possible than, than self on social media. We should be tooting God's horn and not our own all the time. And if we want people to see Jesus, then to the best of our ability, we've got to get out of the way. Got to get out of the way. Quit trying to attach yourself to God's glory. Knock it off. Give God all the glory. Tell people that it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And quit attaching yourself to everything that's God because then what you're saying is that you want people to come to know God like you know God. No, you don't. You want them to come to know God like they're going to come to know God and like they're going to find God and they're going to experience Jesus. You don't want all your stuff attached to it. Man, give them a fighting chance at this to cultivate a relationship with the living God. God deals with all of us differently, works on all of our hearts differently. And man, I'm glad that this is working for you and it's drawing you closer to Jesus, but just encourage people to get closer to Jesus. They don't have to do things the way that you do. They don't have to be like you. You want them to be like Jesus, not like you. And sometimes growing Christians have to fight through all of the noise and all of the clanging symbols that want all of this attention and they want to be noticed. Could it be that it's harder for God to use you more than he has because you want some of the glory? You want a piece of the pie? Could it be? Could it be? I didn't expect big amens there, but I'm preaching it anyway. 
2 Timothy 3.2 says that in the last days, men would be lovers of themselves, or the new living says would love only themselves. What people need to see is our love for God, not our love for self. And come on, we all struggle with it. We all love ourselves. I mean, even those of us that don't have any hair spend time getting ready this morning in front of the mirror. I see that hand. We spend so much time on our inward and so little time, so much time on our outward, so little time on our inward. But the lion's share should be spent on our inner man that's being renewed day by day, not on our outward man that's perishing day by day. It's an amazing how much time and attention we give to our outer self that is going to die. We're all going to die. And how much we neglect the most important part of us, and that is our inner man that has been born again, that is alive, and that's soaring. Even men and women behind prison bars are soaring spiritually inside that have come to know Christ. Second description that Paul gave was that we would be nothing even though possessing great understanding, knowledge, and faith, we would be nothing if we lack love. See, we want to compare ourselves and we want to measure ourselves and, and we've got this, but if we lack love, we're nothing in God's eyes. We're nothing. Three says we would gain nothing even though we gave and lived so sacrificially that we could boast about it if we lack love. I mean, if we're really doing these things sacrificially, then why are we letting everybody know that we're doing it? Why are we drawing all this attention? Why are we telling people that I just did this and I just did that and I just did... I think that that speaks of a love of self and a lack of a love for others. I mean, I... I don't know about you, maybe your relationship with Jesus is different, but I've never had God tell me, you know, John, get out there and tell everybody all the wonderful things that you've been doing lately. You tell them. You've been special. Something else, buddy. You get out there. You get out there. I've heard the Lord tell me, you tell them what I've done for you. We're so quick to tell everybody what we've done for the Lord, but I believe God would have us, would have us tell everyone what the Lord has done for us. Very, very difficult for you to attach yourself to everything that God's done. You are a receiver. You are a recipient of all that God's done. We gotta, we gotta remove the attachments, letting everybody know how special we are, how gifted we are, how giving we are. Gotta remove the attachments. In my studies, I discovered that the noun for love was rare in Greek literature outside the New Testament, early Christian writings, but the verb for love is much more frequent. That's why the love of God is so different. I think we're always trying to have some kind of mishmash of, of God's love and, and, and our love. God's love is different. God's love is different. In the Greek language, they had different words for different kinds of love, like sexual love, emotional love, brotherly love. 
All of those meet a need in us, whereas the love of God focuses on the needs of others. Changes you, focuses on the needs of others. And as long as it is about you and your needs, there is a lack of God's love working in us. I mean, isn't that what maturity is? Even physically, our, our children, they're, they're just selfish by, by nature. And then they, as they mature, they're thinking of others. I mean, aren't you proud of your kids when they're mindful of others, when they notice others, when they think of others? Isn't that just the goods? It's just like another level of spirituality when they do stuff like that. It's almost otherworldly when your kids notice another kid that's hurting or someone that's not doing as well as as them. It's like otherworldly that they're mindful of someone other than themselves because we're all by nature selfish. We're all self-centered. We come out of the womb that way. And we must be changed and have the love of God poured in our hearts to be any different than that. I didn't have to tell my kids to be selfish as they were growing up. They did that fine. I had to tell them to share. No, 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 no. We share. No, no, Hey, you got a friend over. They go first. Unless it comes to food, then I'm going first. I don't care if friends are over. <laughs> That's not selfish. It's self-preserving. I'm, I'm just trying to survive. The love of God does not focus on wants even though we want them to. It's based in needs. It's based in needs. We want God to give us everything that we want. And man, we'd even try to manipulate him with great faith to get it. But God's focused on our needs. In fact, if you study the love of God and you look it up, it will say a love that doesn't give you everything that you want but does your needs. It does your needs. But God, I want this and I want that. Yeah, but if you don't love, what's that about? The love of God is a verb. We can see this best in John 3, 16. God so loved that he gave. And he gave that which was most precious. I think maybe one of the best illustrations of this is in Genesis 22. If you got your Bibles, your digital device, go to Genesis 22. Look at the language here. Genesis 22.1, sometime later God tested Abraham's faith. So this is a test. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Put yourself in Abraham's place. He believed for decades for this boy. Decades. God knew that he loved him and even told him that he knew that he loved him. And then testing Abraham, God said, now go offer your son, your only son, whom I know that you love, go go offer him as a burnt offering on, on Mount Moriah. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God ask for Abraham to sacrifice what he loved the most and if you'll keep reading when 
he and his servants were going to the mountain. And when they arrived at the mountain, he had a servant stay. And he said, the, land and, the lad and I are going to go yonder and we're going to worship, I believe is how it's worded in the New King James. And we'll come back to you. Isn't it amazing what God called a burnt offering, giving that which Abraham loved the most, Abraham called worship? Why? Because in worship, you don't give what you want. You give what you love the most. And you will not experience genuine worship if you will not part with what you love more than God. I think it was Tommy Tenney that said, God still desires the smell of burning flesh. Isn't it amazing that in Romans 12, God calls us to be living sacrifices? Living sacrifices. I mean, it just kind of changes everything. I think so many of us have this Old Testament doctrine and theology that we're still working off of, that we can come to the altar and we can shed things there and we can leave things there, as if the altar is a dump site. No, 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 the altar is a flame. And you don't come and leave things there, you get on it and you become a living sacrifice. And you part with self at the altar because you love yourself more than anyone or anything else. And that's what real worship is. In real worship, something has to die and it starts with you and it starts with me. We're the first to go. First to go. Abraham knew, knew that God was asking him to give what he loved the most. Yet the Bible says the very next day he did it. He took off with his son. Come on. And even when Isaac said, and there are some studies that I've read that believe Isaac could have been as old as 30 years old at this point. Can you imagine? I'd be thinking, Pops has lost his mind. I, th I think I can take him. I think I can take him. That's what I would have been thinking. Whoa, 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 Dad, what are you doing with the knife? Whoa, 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 whoa. And yet Isaac said, Dad, I, you know, I see the wood. I see the altar. Where's the sacrifice? God will provide the lamb. And we know that in this general vicinity, it's the same place where Solomon's temple was built. Same place, same area where Jesus was sacrificed, or it's the same place where David um, had to uh, build a altar there to run his threshing floor, same vicinity. So where David built an altar, Solomon built the temple. You know, real fathers, real dads that love Jesus, they, they part with what they love the most so that the next generation can build upon it. They part with what they love the most so that the next generation can build upon it. In real genuine worship, we give what we love the most. Genuine worshipers love God more, more than their time, more than their treasure, more than their talents. And the God kind of love gives of self and what self loves most. So in worship, there's a constant struggle as you're thinking about yourself and as you're giving to God what your flesh says, this is odd and this is unusual and why should I have to do this and this is uncomfortable and what if somebody's watching and you're dying 
and the flames are, are licking at your heels as you are discovering how to be a living sacrifice. If you ask me, I believe that's what Jesus was talking about in John 4 with the woman at the well when he said that we're to worship God in spirit and truth and the Father is seeking such to worship him. I don't think that any song that comes out of our mouth is necessarily worship. I don't think that that's necessarily worshiping the Spirit. And I would even challenge the idea that worshiping even with your prayer language is worshiping in the Spirit, although there's some scriptural support for that. Here's Here's what I believe. I believe worshiping in the Spirit is being so lost in worship that it's all about Jesus and you sense his presence all around. I believe there's a difference in being in the spirit, not just praying in the spirit, but being in the spirit. Worshiping in the spirit, not just with the spirit, worshiping in the spirit. There's a difference. When you are praying with the spirit and praying in the spirit, when you're when you're praying with the Spirit, man, you're praying your prayer language, and it's good stuff. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. All right, good. Get stronger. But there's a difference in praying in the Spirit. And you are praying, and all of a sudden, it's like nothing on this earth matters. Or as the old hymn goes, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And how strange it is when the things of earth grow dim because it's everything that we're investing in. And yet in God's presence, when we're in the Spirit, it just doesn't matter anymore because we're so in love with Him and nothing matters more than Him. Nothing. As we are going to be in this series for the next few weeks, we are going to be discovering God's love in ways and in depths that maybe we never have before. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you do, you're going to find that you are more mindful of the needs of others. And what you want to give them is the only one that can change them, and it's not yourself. You want to give them Jesus, and therein lies the sacrifice. We're not giving them ourselves We're giving them Jesus. We might give of ourselves. We might lay ourselves down, but we're giving them Jesus. And you do not want anything attached to your giving of Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. There's nothing attached to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing attached to sharing Jesus with anybody. You're just giving them Jesus, not yourself. And when you love God, you want to love others too. And the best way to love them is to, it's to give them Jesus. That's what they need. How much can you do for them? They need Jesus. And whatever you do, they need to see Jesus in what you do. And that should be the purpose and the basis for all that we do. So that you'd see Jesus. So that you'd see Jesus. Jesus high and lifted up. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do what we do. I want to pray before we leave this morning. We're running out of time.